and we get in his word. Turn around and take your Bibles. Come on, just turn around and take your Bibles. And turn with me to the narrative that will be our focal point for today's message, which is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Praise the Lord for those seven people that are so excited about what God has for them. I believe God is going to use this narrative of Scripture to speak to our hearts, enlighten our spirits. And as you're turning to this narrative, let me just go ahead and say there's a shift today. Shifting gears. We're starting a brand new series, but it's not just any series in my opinion. It's a, it's a series that I truly believe is going to be so relevant for so many of us in the situations that we find ourselves in. There's going to be so much personal application in this passage of Scripture that I believe you can apply to so many situations in your life. But I also need to preempt this series by saying it's going to be packaged a little differently. There's going to be a little preach. There's going to be a little teach. At times it's going to feel like a seminar. At other times it's going to be a free counseling session. Is that okay? You see, what I want to do is I want to marry the plot of God's Word with the situation in your life and show you that when you take God's Word and it connects to the situation in your life, that God's Word has the ability to define your destiny rather than your situation becoming your identity. Mm. So I want you to look at your neighbor and announce to them the title of this series, and that is, I'm too blank. Look at your other neighbor and say, I'm too. Let me just be honest with you. Right now, if, if, if we could all be very transparent, and if I were to say on the count of three, I want you to shout out what it is that you've placed in that blank. blank. In fact, let's do that. On the count of three, whatever it is that you've placed in that blank, over your life. I'm two, whatever. I want you to shout it out. One, two. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm too. I'm too. Some of you might say I'm too tired. Some of you might say I'm too busy. I'm too lonely. I'm too confused. I'm, I'm too overwhelmed. I'm too depressed. I'm, I'm too broke. I, I'm too sick. And so many times what we've placed in that blank has gained so much power in our lives that it's actually dictating the steps that we take. So many times what is so, so prevalent, what is so persistently present in that blank in our lives causes us to miss what is miraculously possible. So many times what is missing in our lives causes us to miss what is possible. Here's one. So many times we are so focused on what is obviously wrong that we ignore what is obviously right. Just in our relationships, sometimes we, we, we focus on what I'm to whatever in our relationships, what is obviously wrong that we miss celebrating what is also obviously right. So here's what I want you to do. I, I, I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to announce to them the subject matter of our conversation today. Count the calories. <laughs> 
count the calories. It's awful strange that after the first service, we shared cupcakes with you and we're preaching a sermon, count the calories. Look at your other neighbor and say, are you counting calories? Just, just be seated. Be seated. So, so here's what I want to do with you. I, I, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12, which was written by an unknown author. The book of Hebrews is really a strange dynamic. The literary composition of the book of Hebrews is, is, is very different than many other books that are written in the Bible, theologically speaking. But I want to actually read three verses with you that seem to be very weird in their composition. And as we read those three verses, we'll work through them. But is it okay if I read a little and then pause and offer you some conjecture? Is that okay? So I'm going to read some, and then I'll pause after I get to a certain point, and we'll talk about that. Here's how chapter 12, verse 1 begins. It says, therefore, pause. Right now, some of you are saying, we're never going to get through with this. Just circle that word, therefore. Circle it. We'll come back to it. It's very important. Therefore. Therefore. But then he goes on to write this. Since we are surrounded by such a great... Hold on a second. Don't read any further. Since we are surrounded by... Since we are surrounded by, here is the Hebrew author alluding to a problem that we're not aware of because we were not living during that day. But in order for us to understand what he was writing, why he was writing it, the context, the historical context of why he was talking about being surrounded by something, we have to understand what was happening historically for the people who were receiving this letter. Historically, what was happening with the recipients of this letter is that they were very busy talking about the problems in life. They actually felt surrounded by so many different difficulties that they were overwhelmed by those difficulties. And, and because they were overwhelmed by it, their faith was diminished. You see, the early Christ follower who was receiving this letter as the recipients of this letter, they were so busy proclaiming the dynamics of their problems. We feel surrounded by, they were announcing the condition of life. We feel overcome by what is happening. And the very thing that they were being overcome by was the direct result of their fate. So they were blaming their fate for what was happening in their lives. So here, the author of the book of Hebrews begins to dial in and use the very language that they're using in order to meet them where they are so that they'll see that there is an answer for their problem. So as they're talking about being surrounded by something, the problem of something, he, one of the problems that they're going through is there was this great persecution that was happening. At the point of the book of Hebrews being written and the group that receives it, they were not necessarily being physically persecuted at that moment. That was happening in other areas, but they were being socially persecuted. They were being economically persecuted. So no one would have anything to do with them because they were Christ followers. They were shunned. No one would have anything to do with them financially. If they were Christ followers, no one would 
buy from them. They would fire them from their jobs, and people were actually starving to death because of their faith. And so they were making statements like, we feel surrounded by our problems. I am too tired. I am too overwhelmed. I am too mistreated. I am too persecuted. And so the writer of Hebrews goes right to that point, and he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run the race that is marked before us. Hold on a second. Let me pause again right there because there's so much happening in that verse. You see, if you think for one moment that the thing that seems to entangle us so much so is just the sin that is referenced in this passage of Scripture, you, you would be some right, but also some wrong. You see, certainly it is applicable to the sin that entangles us. But if you think it's just sin that entangles us, you would be selling short the narrative. You would be selling short the context of the narrative. Because the writer is not only talking about that, he's also talking about the weighty stuff, the I am too. I am too lonely, the, the, the I am too messed up, the, the I am too economically frustrated, the I am too relationally messed up, the I am too occupationally messed up. And so, so many times we take and we place in that blank something that is so powerful over our lives that it ultimately controls our position in the race, if you will. And therefore, because we've placed something over our lives, this label, I'm too whatever, that place, that blank, ends up becoming an inexcuse, or an excuse, I should say, for inactivity, an excuse to quit. I'm too tired of dealing with this relational issue. It seems like I show him love, but he never reciprocates it. I, I'm just so tired of dealing with this problem. I, I'm just too tired. I'm just too tired. I'm just too frustrated. I'm just too broke. I'm just too this. I'm just too that. And so he goes right to that point. The thing that they feel like is surrounding them, the power that they've placed over themselves because of the label that they've placed upon themselves, he goes right to it. see if if we were transparent enough this morning we were all honest with ourselves it is the race that tends to extinguish the flame within us it is the race of life that seems to tire us out at times it is the race that we're in at times that seems to be so overwhelming because it seems like we're losing in the race and it seems like they're winning the race and the race that's marked for them seems to be much easier than the race that's marked for me. Therefore, I feel like a loser in comparison to what they have and are doing. Can I get a hello? I'm going to need you to help holler back today. Therefore, when that happens in our lives, our faith seems to be out of balance tilted and so we begin to question the faithfulness of God we begin to question the faithfulness of God because we have given I am to so much power that it seems like God's not showing up on our behalf this week I received a text from a person who's very dear to me will not share with you this person's name, but he sent this text to a couple of staff members and 
when I read this text, it, it says this. It says, good evening. I hope you are doing well. Not to burden you. This is a person of faith. But just letting my pastors know so that you can be praying. We found out Thursday morning that we will be closing the facility that I work in on November 3rd. The plant and the office. So after November 3rd, I will be without a job. And as I'm reading that, I'm thinking about this text. I'm thinking about this series, and I could certainly interject, I am too unemployed. I am too nervous. I am too anxious. I am too scared about the future. I'm too fearful. So I responded to this individual. I said, the next door has already been opened. And God will walk you through it. Your faith will expose his faithfulness. Then the more that I thought about that concept, I thought, well, isn't that really what the Hebrew writer is saying? He's saying it's your faith that will expose the faithfulness of God. But the problem is there are those entangling moments that ultimately become an entangling thought process that tends to control the dynamics of our lives. Like the entangling thought process of, of, of everything seems to be going right in your life, but in your mind you're thinking something bad must be about to happen because right can't happen but so long. Can I get a hello? Or then maybe on the other side, it's like whatever you've placed in that blank becomes so oppressing that you feel like it's going to last forever. And today, I'm not specifically going to target anything in that blank, any I am too specifically, but I am using today as a syllabus for this series because I want to target a thought process that I believe the Hebrew writer is giving us. You see, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, when he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by, the Hebrew writer is identifying for them the problem. They do feel surrounded by, but not only is he identifying the problem, he's trying to lead them to the solution. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off things that hinder us, the things that so easily entangle us, and let us run the race that is marked before us with perseverance. Hold on a second, because the key word here, probably the most important word here, Richie, is the first word, the word therefore. Look at your neighbor and say therefore. What is that therefore? Therefore. Because it's an odd literary position for the word therefore. It's, it's the very first word in this paragraph. Why would he have written such literary composition it just doesn't make sense until you begin to think hold on a second what he's about to say in chapter 12 is connected to what he just previously said in chapter 11 and if you don't understand what happened in chapter 11 you'll never be able to apply what he's about to say in chapter 12 you see in chapter 11 it's called the hall of faith chapter the hall of faith chapter armando is all of these people these Biblical patriarchs that were so 
at times in their lives overcome by the dynamics of difficulty, but yet somehow were successful in their difficulty because of their faith. These huge, famous people in the Bible, like Abraham, he, in, he, he had a fight and he endured. And Moses had a fight and endured. And Noah had a fight and endured. And Jacob had a fight and endured. And Isaac had a fight and endured. And Sarah had a fight and endured. And Joseph had a fight and endured that fight. But then he, he kind of tells us something here. In chapter 11, verses 35 and following, let me just read three verses because he highlights some characteristics of some things that were happening to this group of people. Think about this with me for a moment. He's connecting what had happened to this group of people now to what they're going through in chapter 12. And he says this in verse 35. He says, women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them, they wandered in the deserts and the mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And he's saying, you feel like you're surrounded? You're saying, I'm to this, I'm to that. And what he's trying to do is draw their attention to this group of people who have had it so much worse than you, but in their faith they held on and God's faithfulness was exposed. So he shifts gears, if you will. He's trying to take them to the solution. He's trying to show them what has happened in in, in people who lived before you, who's had it so much worse than you, and they were able to overcome because of their faith. So he uses the word, therefore. Everybody say, therefore. There's a shift in perspective. He's he's saying to them... You've got to stop looking at what you've been looking at because if, if you keep looking at what is in the blank, it will cause you to miss what God has for you. Now, now keep in mind, there are people who have gone before you, have had it so much worse than you, and they were able to cope with it, and they were able to be successful, and they were able to be prosperous, and they were able to come through it because of their faith. And so what he's doing is he's showing them that this group of people who lived in chapter 11 had external enemies just like you. They were going through problems just like you, and in many cases so much worse than you, but they shifted their perspective, and they were no longer focused upon their external enemy but rather they began to be focused upon their inner me hello he was saying they had external enemies but they shifted their focus and their perspective was no longer on their external enemy but rather their inner me you know how we are We, we blame our position in life where we're at in life is a direct result of I am too. We blame, find things to blame for everything in our lives. We blame this, we blame that. I am to this, I am to that. I am to this, I am to, I, I, I am this. I, my performance was bad because I pulled a hamstring. I'm just so overworked that I'm too tired to actually be engaged in the ministry of the church. 
I'm just too hurt in this relationship to continue to give because he never seems to give back to me. I'm just too, I'm just too frustrated. I'm just too tired. I'm just too hurt to be able to forgive. So here is the Hebrew writer who's going right to that. And he's saying, there are people who had it so much worse than you who were able to come through it because they held on to their faith and it exposed the faithfulness of God. What he was trying to do was shift their perspective. What he was trying to say is it's not the enemy. Whatever you place in that blank, whether it's I'm to this or I'm to that or whether it's a person's name, it's not an enemy that is actually overcoming you. It is what you believe about that enemy that overcomes you. Mm. It's, it's, it's not the enemy that's overcoming you. It's the inner me. It's the things that we're telling ourselves, that we're speaking over ourselves. I am to this. I am to that. It's, it's those things. It's, it's not what's happening to us. It's what we believe about what is happening to us. So here the Hebrew writer, he gives us three things that we need to do in order to change that thought process. Can I give you those three things? The very first thing that you need to do is you need to go on a diet. I ain't touching that. Everybody say diet. The construct of the book of Hebrews is, is really odd. I mean, it starts out as an essay. It segues into a sermon. But then in chapter 12, it, it, there's this radical shift to where it becomes this personal letter where he's encouraging discouraged Christians to stay in the fight and to run the race that is marked before them. Now, here's what's unique about that terminology. When the Jewish reader receives this, their minds go to a word picture because they understand the, 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 the term race. They understand being in the race. And what they realize about the race is that the preparation that you do before the race enables you to actually finish the race. But then he goes a little bit deeper. And when he says that we have to throw off the things that so easily entangle us, that phrase comes from two Greek words that are merged. That phrase in the Greek actually means to, to be intentional about throwing off something so that you can have a change in attitude so that you will have a change in your behavior. Whoa. Hold on a second. So we've got to throw off some things. So we have to be intentional about throwing off some things so that we can have a change in attitude so that we will have a change in behavior. <laughs> in other words, what he's saying to us, Richard, is that that thought process, that change, it's not necessarily going to happen organically. It, there, there's something intentional that we have to do. We have to throw off, some, we have to go on a diet. There's some things that we have to go on a diet from in order to have the change in our behavior. It, it's not like you can go through like a hellacious week and the very next day you wake up and it's like, it's a beautiful morning. I don't know the words, but you know. That doesn't happen. There's something intentional that we have to do. In fact, let me go a little bit deeper. This is where it gets really deep. When, 
he uses the term throw off the things that, that so easily entangle you. It is an athletic term. It is a term that the athletes certainly understood because they knew before a race there were some things that they had to shed. There were some pounds that they needed to get rid of. They needed to cut weight in order to be able to be competitive in the race. There were some things that they needed to do to get rid of in order to be able to run the race, to be competitive in the race, to finish the race, but to also compete in the race. They had to shed some weight, so to speak. Now, there is a reason why the Hebrew writer is talking about this shedding of weight. He's not talking about the physical thing. So it caused me to begin to think about our spiritual diet. How is your faith diet? Think about that verse in a spiritual context. How is your faith diet? Because many times it is our faith diet that is impeding us from being able to finish the race that God has marked out before us. Because we're so focused on what is in the blank that we've given this so much power. It is in control of our lives. We find ourselves in a position that seems to be beyond our control because what we've placed in the blank. And therefore we tend to starve ourselves spiritually. It's a spiritual starvation diet. And can I tell you something? So many times, it's what we're not taking in that is worse than what we are consuming. It is what we're not taking in that tends to impede our ability to finish the race. You see, so many of us are not feeding our faith. And the reason why we're not feeding our faith is... Because we're busy trying to feed something else. You see, so many of us are not feeding the faith that we do have. And because we're not feeding the faith that we do have, we can't cut the weight that we don't need. Good Lord, have mercy. We're, let me say that again. So many of us, we're not feeding our faith. And because we're not feeding our faith, we cannot cut the weight that we don't need. And we're not feeding our faith because we're so busy trying to gratify ourselves with things that we don't need. I think about Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul writes, he says, God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think, ask, or imagine according to his power that is at work within you. Can I be honest with you? Many of you will never tap into that exceeding abundance of God because you have placed a label over your life that is dictating your steps rather than you tapping into the power that he has for you to overcome what you've placed upon you. Lord have mercy. Yep. What I'm trying to say is that there are some lies that you are living that you need to allow to die in your life so that you can be fully alive in what Christ has for you. There are some things that need to die in you so that you can live in Christ. Mm, Lord have mercy. Let me, let me, can I go a little further? Can I go a little further? I want to make sure you're with me because... How can we expect to receive the peace of God if we don't make room for the peace of God? How can we expect to receive the blessings of God if we don't make room for the blessings of God, if we don't diet from some things? 
How can we expect to receive the promises of God if our minds are full of the problems of life? How do we ever expect getting over feeling inadequate, I am too inadequate, if we don't stop comparing what we have and don't have to what somebody else has? Lord have mercy, good. Y'all don't want to hear this. Y'all don't want to hear this. How can we ever experience the peace of God if we don't make room for it? How can we ever experience the blessings of God if we're not diving from some things in order to receive what it is he has for us? Can, can I be honest with you? Here's the truth. The truth is if you are expecting the 45-minute sermon that I give you on Sunday, if that is all that you are doing in your faith diet, you are going to starve. You know why? Because we're spending countless hours Facebooking, Instagramming, Twittering, watching the media, watching stuff that is wired in such a way to, 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 to provoke a thought process that causes you to walk down the wrong path. Mm. We're spending countless hours doing these things, watching these things, being involved in these things that is hardwiring your brain to operate in such a way. And that's why we keep saying, I'm to whatever. Some of us are so busy trying to please people that in our lives that we've ignored the very people that God wants us to care over. Some of us are so busy worried about our image that we've forgotten that we were created in God's image. Some of us are so busy worrying about being approved that we forgot that we've already been approved. The Bible says you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, a special possession of God so that he could bring you out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you might praise him. So, so often I feel like the I am statements that are coming out of our mouths are the direct result of us believing false statements about us. So our faith is out of balance. So many times we're so busy trying to feel validated that we fill our schedule so full in hopes that because we're busy, others will see us as valuable and so we're saying yes to people and things that's causing us to say no to the people and things that really do matter. We're so busy trying to keep up this social media image that we're worn out. Can I get a hello? I'm going to be transparent with you, not in hopes that you would give me sympathy. That's not what this is about. But in hopes that you'll take the illustration that I'm about to give to you and you will apply it to whatever area of your life that it is applicable to. But being a pastor, some of you have been pastors or you are pastors now. Being a pastor is, is hard. In fact, there are times when Forgive me for the language, but there are times that being a pastor sucks. <laughs> All of you real saved people, forgive me. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. There are times I, I could fill in that blank in hundreds of ways. I, I'm too lonely. I'm, I'm too tired. I'm too burned out. I'm, I'm too insecure. Uh, I, I'm too confused. I, I, I'm too weary. I, 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 I'm too this. I, I'm too that. 
just one area, just one area of, that I'm responsible for, just one small area is putting together a message, preaching the message. That's probably one of the smallest areas that I'm responsible for. But so many times I feel this, this pressure to perform. How many of you know the pressure to perform? The pressure that you have to perform as a mom, the pressure that you have to perform as a dad, the pressure that you have to perform on the job, the pressure. And, and, and so many times it's like, I feel like there's so much pressure because I feel like this message has to be better than the last message and the last message needed to be better than the one before that and, and, and next week's message has to be better than this message and I'll finish this message and I'll go home this afternoon and I'll begin to think about next week's message and next week's message has to be better than today's message and, and this series has to be better than the last series and there's so much pressure. So one day I was sitting with my mentor and I was talking to him about the I am twos in my life. And he said something to me. He said, Mark, the things that are overwhelming you, God has already overcome. And he said, the pressure that you have placed upon yourself to perform is not the pressure that God wants you to feel. Because that pressure has already been taken away from you through the power of the work of the cross. What he said is, rather than you feeling the pressure to perform, all God wants you to do is give his word, and it, his word, will perform the miracle. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So, so think about this with me for a moment. It was not the performance of the people, Richie, in chapter 11, that enabled them to rise above. It was not their performance. Rather, it was their faith that exposed the faithfulness of God. Noah didn't know how to build a boat. But God, Moses didn't know how to lead people, but God, David didn't know how to fight a giant, but God, Joseph didn't know how to get out of trouble, but God, you might be too tired, but God, you might be too worn, but God, your relationships might be too messed up, but God, you may not know about what to do in that situation, but God, you may not know how to handle what the doctor just told you, but God, but God, good Lord have mercy. Let me tell you something that blows me away about that passage. Chapter 11. Chapter 11 is called the Hall of Faith chapter because, be, be, because what happened in their lives. But what you need to understand is that it was not their performance that brought about their victory. It was God's faithfulness. That passage of Scripture should not be called the Hall of Faith. That passage of Scripture should be called the faithfulness of God. You see, that's why the writer of Hebrews says to throw off anything that entangles. It reminds me of something that First Peter says. It reminds me of this and you need to cast your cares upon God because he cares for you after you have suffered for a little while the God of all grace will reach down and restore you somebody's about to be set free it is not your performance that will break you free from the difficulties of life it is your faith and you hanging on the reason why the people of chapter 11 were successful it's because they held on to their faith and they would not allow the I am too to outweigh their faith There is a freedom that comes when you release that I am to statement. And you no longer allow it to force your faith to take a back seat. Lord have mercy. 
Thank you. You know what? I've got two more D's. Can I give them to you? Somebody already right now you're thinking, oh, I'm too scared. <laughs> That's only one D. Some of you are like, I'm too hungry. <laughs> I promise it'll be quick. The first D was diet. Look at your neighbor and say, you need to go on a diet. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. But the second D is something that is so evident in verse 2. Look what the writer says in verse 2. He says this. He says, fixing your eyes on Jesus. He says, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. Hold on a second. Fixing our eyes upon Jesus. That term, that phrase in the Greek actually means to take your eyes intentionally off of something and place them upon Jesus. Take my eyes off of something, place them upon Jesus, who is the author and finisher of your faith. In other words, God doesn't just start something. He also completes that something. Hold on a second. When the Jewish crowd received this, the second D, let me not skip over it. The second D is you've got to decide what to look at. Hold on a second. You've got to diet. You've got to decide what to look at. You see, when the Jewish reader receives this letter, their minds go to Psalms chapter 121. Psalms chapter 121, the psalmist writes... He writes this psalm in the midst of a difficulty. It is a song that they would actually sing on their way to the temple. And that psalm, which is a song, begins with, I look to the hills, from where does my help come from? Then he answers his own question and he says, my help comes from the Lord. Hold on a second. Can I teach for a minute? Okay, so in Psalms chapter 121, he says, I look to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. The second verse says, and he will not let my foot slip. Now, keep in mind, they sing this song when they're climbing the steps of the temple. And they're going up the steps, and it says, I look to the hills. In other words, I change my perspective. I make a decision to fix my eyes upon Jesus. I look to the hills from where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. And he will not let my foot slip. Hold on a second. He says, so we're climbing the temple. He will not let my foot slip. I, 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 I may feel like I, I, I'm, I'm too tired, but hold on a second. I've decided to diet that thought, and I've decided to fix my eyes upon Jesus. I look to the hills from where does my help come from. Oh, oh but, but I'm too sick. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm dieting that thought, and I'm going to fix my eyes upon Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Oh, hold on a second. I have too much lack in my life. Oh, 
I'm going to diet, that's all. And I'm going to fix my eyes on Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And he will not let my foot slip because I'm dieting that thought. I'm fixing my eyes upon him. And then the third D is we get to declare in the name of Jesus the victory that God has for us. Why? Because verse 3 of chapter 12 says that Jesus took on all of that opposition so that you wouldn't have to, so that you wouldn't grow weary and lose heart. Somebody in this place ought to give God praise. Somebody ought to declare the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus, in the name, in the name, in the name. In the name of Jesus, I declare victory over my finances. In the name of Jesus, I declare victory over my marriage. In the name of Jesus, I declare victory over sickness. In the name of Jesus, come on somebody, give him praise. Give him praise, come on. So, I diet, I decide what I'm going to look at, and then I declare the victory in the name of Jesus. Mm. Diet, decide, declare. Diet, decide, declare. Oh, there's that thought. Diet, decide, declare. I'm to this. Diet, decide, declare. Here we go. Help me. A little louder. One more time. Decide, declare. Mm. 